Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth and concepts for improving organizational culture. This is your host, Philip Grison. As you increase your wisdom, I hope you enlighten others on your path towards greatness. If you want to go further, head over to leaderthink.com. Hey, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about the concept of social proof and how to build it into your existing culture. Whenever people are unaware of the correct behavior, what they should be doing, or how they should behave, they always look around them to what others are doing, and most often, they follow suit. What is the expected behavior? Whatever everyone else is doing around here is the expected behavior. That's the concept of social proof. People will do things that they would never do on their own if someone around them is doing the same thing. Have you ever found yourself on an interstate where the speed limit was 55 and everyone else was doing 79? Were you the one driver doing 55 or did you maintain the flow of traffic, the speed that everyone else was doing? There it is, social proof. This same power can be used to positively influence people. Church is a great example of this. There are people I've met that use the F word like a comma. It's a common word in their vocabulary. But if you place an individual like that in a church setting, they will never say the F word because social proof demands that it is completely unacceptable. Social proof becomes an automatic influence that can change what is normal behavior to a completely different behavior. Let's look at a workplace example. Have you ever experienced a non-friendly or rude employee at a fast food restaurant? We all have. Let's say you took that rude employee and placed them in Chick-fil-A. I guarantee you that they would either adapt to the culture of Chick-fil-A or they would get fired or choose to quit and move on. Why? Because the concept of social proof within Chick-fil-A demands a different behavior in their organization. It is an automatic influence that occurs, not a discipline or a punishment that changes behavior. Building social proof is the process of creating an environment that automatically influences the people within it, where the participants will either adapt or leave the current culture. The culture has become stronger than any lone employee within it. So how can we turn this process of social proof into a positive automatic influence that improves our organization's culture? By building social proof into what you want it to be. By building a team that models the behaviors you want others to follow, regardless of any frustration that everyone else around them is not already doing it. Not yet anyway. It will take time, but others will model you. You will have the power of good on your side. Not only will your behavior be perceived as what some people do, it will be on the side of the right thing to do. That gives it a greater power. It will take time. But the more people that adapt to your change team's behavior, the more social proof tips in your preferred direction. The process for building social proof starts with identifying who will be on your team. Then you equip that team, followed by an effort to develop them in the field. From there, social proof begins to shift in your preferred direction. 
So let's break down each step one at a time, starting with selecting the team. In my Culture Fail podcast, I discussed the four personalities you tend to encounter in any culture change effort. If you haven't listened to that podcast, I suggest you do before moving on to the concept of building social proof. It is imperative that you select only enthusiasts and early adapters for your initial change team. If you do not, you will spend more time dealing with resistance and convincing fence sitters that they should move forward. People struggle with this, but you have to show a little favoritism here by picking who will embrace this effort, who is passionate about it, and who is most likely to buy in at an early stage. This brings to light an important concept that must be adhered to if you want the process to produce measurable results. You have to focus on strengths, not weaknesses. You have to laser focus on embracing the leadership traits of your enthusiasts instead of trying to fix the weaknesses of your resistors. This goes against the limbic brain's desire to fix problems in the culture. But the irony is that this is how you fix problems in your culture. If you have an employee that's currently a 3 on a scale of 1 to 10 when considering effective leadership traits, the best efforts of management may bring them up to a 6. If you have someone who is already a 7 and they are passionate about the subject, it is so much easier to bring them up to a 10. But if all your effort is being consumed with attention on the fence sitters and the resistors, you are actually ignoring the strengths, the sevens that already exist in your company. Why do we spend so much effort on threes when we should be turning sevens into tens? Our focus always seems to lean towards fixing problems. How many times do we stop and have a discussion about a problem and walk right by what is going smoothly? Focus on what is right, what is working, and build that up to a 10. Let the end goal of social proof become the automatic influence for the problems, for the fence sitters, for the resistors. First, focus on your strengths. No matter how hard you try to sell the concept to resistors, they will respond with resistance. Think about this. If you say something as simple as, let me give you some feedback, their fight-or-flight response engages in their brain. They either can't wait for you to stop talking so they can fly away, or they want to punch you in the face. What they never do is automatically think, gee, I am so glad you took the time to point out my shortcomings so I can work on them. But let's do a turnaround. If you have passionate enthusiasts on your team and they share their ideas, you can enhance that passion. If enthusiasts bring up good ideas or share effective leadership traits, you respond with, hey, what is that? That is good stuff right there. What a great idea. Go further down that road. You're on the right path. Tell me how we can take that concept further. When we engage that passion, that strength that already exists in your culture, we kick it into overdrive. We provide the opportunity for the seven to become a ten. The enthusiast does not respond with the fight-or-flight response when we engage their strengths. Instead, they go to their enlightened brain to dream of how to become better 
than where they currently are. We feed their passion. We reward it. We encourage it to grow. So once we select our team, we have to equip them with training on leadership concepts, the concepts that you want to become part of your everyday intentional culture. Again, it's imperative that no fence sitters or especially resistors be allowed in this initial training. If you allow them in the room, they will consume a great amount of time trying to derail the entire effort. It becomes less effective. I've seen this over and over again. Many times in my leadership courses, people are sent to the class so I can fix them. An employee is displaying poor leadership traits in the organization, and management sends them to my class, expecting them to go from resistor in the morning to enthusiast in the afternoon. As you can imagine, it never works that way. They commonly become more of a disruptor in the room than providing anything beneficial to the group. Even if the group tries to sway them in the other direction, it still ruins the class because all the focus is on the bad apple instead of enhancing the skills of the enthusiasts who actually want to be there. How unproductive is that? But also, how common is that? Have you seen that in the leadership classes you attend? People arguing with the instructor trying to prove that the concepts won't work. Is it effective? Now, here's another thing. When it comes to training, so much of what we do is focused on high production versus quality training. Quality leadership training is not three days of all-day courses with minimal breaks so we can check the box that it was done. Quality training is a series of high-level concepts broken into small segments that give the participants time to digest the information. Remember, the prefrontal cortex, with all its greatness, is easily overloaded. That's the part of the brain we're tapping into. It's important that we don't overload it with these high-level concepts. Unfortunately, this can appear unacceptable in a production-focused environment. We have to take a whole day to get people out of work to come to this class. How soon can we get it done? In a perfect example, we would conduct training from morning until lunch and never after lunch. Each session would have at least a week in between, so the participants have ample time to process the concepts we have equipped them with. I realize not everybody can accomplish this. All I ask is when you plan your training, your equipping of the concepts, consider overloading the prefrontal cortex in how you schedule the training. So whatever your initial training or equipping plan looks like, ensure only enthusiasts and early adapters are included in the room. Break the training into small, absorbable sessions with time in between to process the concepts. But then here comes the most important concept of all, developing your team. Many organizations focus on equipping their employees. Very few focus on developing their employees. But that's where the rubber meets the road. That is why most culture change efforts fail. 
Without the development piece, results will be minimal, if even of any significance at all. Training in a classroom is equipping them with awareness of concepts, concepts that may or may not be new to them. Developing them is taking the concepts out into the real world and developing your people to actually use the concepts. And it's not just showing them. It starts with showing them in the field, watching them do it, and then giving them feedback, letting them do it on their own, and then getting your people to repeat the entire process with a new group of people. Development is the long process of turning the student into the teacher. That is what true growth looks like, what true culture change looks like. In my Culture Fail podcast, I mentioned how without leadership, there is no change. This is what leadership looks like. Leaders developing others, showing their people how to do this, leading by example, walking the talk, followed by coaching their people to become leaders who then develop others into more leaders. And that is the whole process that builds social proof. John Maxwell has a great example of this in his book, The 360-Degree Leader. It actually stems from the physician's axiom, see one, do one, teach one. But John Maxwell does an excellent job of breaking this down step by step. The first step is I do it. I lead by example. I learn the process myself. I become good at it. I become great at it. I become an expert on the subject matter. How can I develop others if I don't know how to do it myself? I need to create a team of experts, of leaders, of developers to be the examples of what I want to see in the field, a team of people walking the talk. The next step, I do it and you watch. Let's say we sent the employees through a class on positive reinforcement or coaching concepts. I walk around with one of those attendees or a group of them from the class. I will tell them I want to see how this works in the real world. I encourage them to ask questions, watch it, then let's discuss it. The third step, you do it and I watch. Now it's time to shift roles. The student goes around giving positive reinforcement, coaching others, while I watch them. They may stumble. They probably will. It's expected. Nobody starts as an expert, and that's okay. My role is to coach them. What worked for you? What didn't work for you? Provide them encouragement and build them up. The fourth step, now you do it. Once they have the basic process down, I need to back off. Give them some breathing room and let them do it on their own. I'm still a resource for them, a coach if they want to discuss it with me. But they are learning their own way now. They are coming up with their own unique style. And now we get to see the most beautiful part of the process when the student becomes the trainer. So here's the fifth and final step. You do it and someone else watches. Nothing will reinforce a concept or a leadership trait like having someone teach it to someone else. But think of the power here. 
We took someone from gaining awareness, equipping them with a subject in a classroom. We displayed the behaviors expected out in the field. We walked the talk. We reinforced the concepts in the real world. We coached them, applying the concepts themselves. Then we sent them out there on their own to develop their own unique style. And now they are not a student anymore. Now they are becoming a teacher. You just multiplied the coaches on your team. You just tipped the scale of social proof into the direction that you want to go. You're getting there. The process is slow. Equipping is so much quicker. Send them to a class a day or a week later, goal achieved. Developing people, behaviors, and coaches, and other teachers, that takes time. And guess what? It's never over. It's never a one and done. It's always ongoing. You must have a plan for further development of your employees if you really want to change intentionally as a culture. But this is where the intentional culture spreads and becomes the new normal. This is where social proof within the organization becomes an automatic influence for those that are on the fence or resistant to change. Developing your people is also a beautiful thing that transcends the workplace. It's good for them in their personal and work life. But if you can align the process with organizational goals, it's also good for the company. If it's good for the people and the organization, everybody wins. So in summary, social proof is making the right thing to do what everyone around you is already doing. We build that concept by starting with the team of enthusiasts and early adapters. We don't just train them, we develop them to become trainers. And from there, the scale is now tipping into the direction you want it to go. Hope you have a beautiful day. If you learned something valuable today, please share it with others. For more information, head over to leaderthink.com.